Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Let's Get Real, a podcast where we explore the intersection between personal transformation and social change. I'm Nina Simons, a leadership coach, facilitator, and activist. My vision for this podcast is to have intimate conversations with remarkable people who are living lives of purpose, creativity, and authenticity. And today's episode is no exception. Molly Watson is the Senior Development Manager for Fundraising and Partner Outreach for Courage California and a board member for the Black Women's Democratic Club of California. She's been working closely to create a pipeline for progressive women to run for office here in the state. I met Molly at an activist meeting down in Orange County uh, and was immediately drawn to her passion, intelligence, and regal beauty. Today, Molly and I explored her experiences growing up biracial in Huntington Beach, which was 77% white as of the last census, and her awakening to her own personal power from living in a multicultural Brooklyn. We also talked about her work with Courage Campaign and specifically the importance of making sure we have diverse representation, not in just in terms of ethnicity and race, but also in terms of background and experience. Finally, we discussed how our democracy needs us to stay involved and active even after this important presidential election. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Hi, Molly. Good morning, Nina. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited for this conversation. I am too. Um, I took a shower for it and everything. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Ready to you do it. it. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's the beauty of, of this new world we live in, right? Is that we get to decide when we want to take a shower. It's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so I would love to start with how the two of us met because I think it's, um, you know, such a great story. I'm so appreciative of having you in my life, first of all. And even though we don't get to see each other often, and even though social media gets a bad rap, I feel like you're in my life because of Instagram and all the cool stuff you post. And and then we find other ways to connect too. Yeah, no, I've, I mean, it's, it's been a, a revolution for me uh, coming back um, to California and getting to know California again um, and finding my people here. And it's been nice to have you in in my life, um, especially, you know, how we met and the things that we both are um, intrigued by and interested in. Um, yeah, social media does get a bad rap, but I'll tell you, it can keep some relationships alive too. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and actually, why don't we start with with you? Like, when did you move back to Orange County? What was the year from Brooklyn, right? Mm -hmm. So I moved back to I moved back to Long Beach um, in 2017 uh, in March. So I had been living in Brooklyn, had worked on my master's out there for a while, got married, had a child, was ready to come home for um, babysitting for yeah. my parents was a yeah. big reason. Um, and then just some more opportunity to sort of get out of the rat race. And so um, I had started applying to jobs to work remotely to see if I could get myself back to California. And then yeah. um, I had applied to Courage actually the summer 2016 and was not able to come back in the time that they needed someone to come back in. Mm -hmm. um, and then they called me actually in like 
January, right after the inauguration. Um, and we're like, hey, did you find that job yet? And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> and so they offered me to be able to start working digitally from New York while we got ready to move back. Um, but it was it was perfect timing and exactly what I needed to get into at the time. So I moved back yeah. to work for Courage California, um, formerly Courage Campaign. And uh, which is a great organization for progressives like me. So love uh, to give them a shout out because yeah. your, your voter scorecard saved me just a couple of days ago when I was filling out my ballot. Well, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we're they're, they're a wonderful organization. I've learned a lot working for Courage and have just been able to kind of become who I am with the organization. Um, They've been a wonderful guiding light. So I came back to to work for Courage and was able to get my family back here. Wasn't too hard to convince my husband because there's so many palm trees here. Right, um, right. <laughs> Very handsome husband. So um, that's so interesting to me because I met you almost as soon as you got here and I'd only been here for a year. And I just assumed because you knew Huntington Beach so well that you, you know, and because you grew up here that you'd been around a long time. So you know, I know we've talked since then about you being from New York, but I didn't realize it was like that recent, like 2017. Yeah, it was, it was, it was not that long ago. So, I mean, California and will always have a place in my heart. Um, and so when I left, I left with the intention of knowing, knowing I was going to come back. Um, yeah. And so, like you said, social media can be one thing, but I also kept a lot of relationships going because I stayed on like Facebook and Instagram and was able to stay connected with friends and family. And um, also I'm just the kind of person where I'm going to make friends anywhere I go. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to let anybody not be my friend unless we have some real beef. Um, <laughs> but for, you know, for what it's worth, like if I come and meet you and we become friends, then like you're my friend and we're going to stay in touch and I'm going to let you know the things I know um, and be around the things that, you know, are important to me. And, you know, all of that stuff sort of starts to surface within that. So it feels like I've been back for a really long time. Um, I've only been back since 2017, which upon, you know, reflection, it's, it's feels like it's been many years. 10 um, years or 20 years. Yeah, I could totally relate to that. And I know when I moved down to Orange County, I had a really, um, like visceral reaction when Andy said, let's go to Orange County. Uh, it's California. Cool. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I've lived in Los Angeles. And so the orange curtain was real to me, you know? And so I think it was a lifesaver for me to meet like-minded people after 2016. Um, but what was it like for you to go from such a diverse place like New York to back. I mean, what was, how was that decision made? Well, I think, um, I mean, I came back to Long Beach on purpose because it was not Orange County um, mm. because I did not want to bring my family back to Orange County. Um, although my husband would have loved to live snap, in Newport. Snap. Yeah. <laughs> he still talks about wanting to live in Newport because of the glass fences, you know? They have the glass oh. fences when you drive down PCH. And I'm like, one day, no, buddy. Because um, yeah. he yeah. surfs, right? He's he has become a New York, California super surfer for whatever that means. Um, it's I mean, it's it's awesome to see him embrace the like culture out here um, and he really enjoys it. And he's the kind of person who's never going to let anybody tell him he can't do something. And we haven't talked yet to my listeners. You're biracial. So let's just get that out. Right. Yeah. Like, so so I, yeah. I grew up in Orange County. Um, 
my dad, my mom is this like crazy white lady from the South. Um, she was like the black sheep of her family and, you know, went to University of Virginia and smoked a lot of weed and was like, she tells us stories of like trying to push over the Washington Monument with because she hated all the good old boys at University of Virginia and um, then eventually transferred to Florida and finished and came out to San Francisco to be a hippie. Mm -hmm. and met my dad, who is from Haiti, um, came out in 76, um, 1976 to go to school out here. Um, and so they met actually on a cable car in San Francisco. Um, so which romantic. Is, yes. Super adorable story until you hear them tell the story of it. Because um, my mom's like, oh, your father just kept talking. He had all these books. He kept talking. And I thought he was just going to follow me home. And I'm like, mom. And then my dad's like, she was so interested in everything I was saying. And she just wouldn't stop talking to me. And I'm just like, you two are <laughs> so extra. Um, we moved to Huntington Beach in 1990. And um, lived right off of Brookhurst and um, Brookhurst and Ellis. Okay, for people um, not from California, what, what was that so near the, the beach? Or? This was in Fountain Valley. This is about a mile, two mile, mile, probably like two or three miles from the beach, um, and like little Fountain Valley, cute little suburban neighborhood. We had we lived in like the Hawaiian track name uh, uh, neighborhood on Samoa, and um, anyways. That was interesting because there's like, you know, people with Confederate flags up in their neighborhood, wow. like in like the windows and stuff. Right. Um, my dad was always very particular in making sure that like, you know, we weren't going places we didn't need to go. He didn't really go anywhere. Um, mm. It was very much an outset of like, I don't know these people. I don't trust these people. Why would I go into their house? Like, you don't know what these people have in their house. And we always were like, Dad, you're crazy. Now we're like, oh, they yeah. probably have like guns and crazy shit in their house. Um, yes. Maybe this is why maybe you... Maybe a cape. <laughs> right. You never know. Yeah. Like, maybe this is yeah. why you didn't want us showing up to some of these spaces. Um, but, you know, even that said, we still made lots of friends. Um, I have two brothers. Um, we're all very active. Um, we played soccer and basketball and field hockey and football and surfed and did surf club and I was like junior guards like we did everything despite what people would think of us um yeah. because still you know showing up in spaces people still would do the like <sighs> it's just always something yeah um so uh whether it was like you know my younger brother was really smart um he skipped a grade he's he's now a physician he went to like one of the top medical schools in the country he's brilliant yeah. um and i remember my mom fighting with other parents who couldn't figure out why he got to skip a grade or why he got to be in something oh or thought that we were being you know preferred for some reason when it's like interesting he's smarter than all but anyways yeah. yes um or like did you experience any kind of overt racism or was it just kind of curiosity and I mean, yeah, lots of curiosity. Yeah, lots yeah. of curiosity where, like, you know where that's coming from. My mom was always very quick to, like, dump a lot of that as soon mm. as it came up. Um, right. But, I mean, you know, we'd, like, my older brother had been handcuffed multiple times in, like, wow. downtown Huntington because something was going on and they assumed he was up to something. Or um, there's, like, you know, there's kids say things, right? So like mm -hmm. What kept your family resilient? Like, what was the message that you think you and your brothers got growing up? That, that it was you? never going to actually bother us and that it had nothing to do with us. So, mm. you know, my dad being Haitian um, was just kind of mm. like, 
these people don't know anything about you. Um, and you come, here's the blood you come from, right? So we have that really strong connection of like, Haiti is the first uh, country that was slaves that freed themselves. Like they overtook their country, right? Um, so they killed everybody that was trying to put them in the trade and like overtook the land and France like really fucked them over because of that. Um, put mm. them into you a know, lot I was, of- I was reading about that in preparation for this and it is a fascinating history and just the ripples from the French Revolution. But then, yeah, like you said, um, paying the price for independence price. in the completely colonial, you know, mo- the cl- the old colonial model, right? Of just exactly. op- oppression. So. Exactly. It was pay us yeah. this or we will bomb and kill everybody on this island because we can and you guys did something we didn't like. And so just the pride of Haitians, mm. period, I think is something that sort of comes in that. And that's something my dad definitely instilled in us. I mean, I don't think I'm immortal. Um, but I do, I do think that there's, um, you know, there's something invigorating about knowing like, where you come from uh, and what your people are made from and um, how they were able to stand up to much more than what we might be facing. Um, yeah. That makes you feel like you can continue to go through it. So like my brothers and I are funny, not comedian funny. Cause I would never want to do that. Um, I won't put myself in that position, but um, we were always funny enough to be able to like mm. come back at people when they'd say things to us. Right. Mm, um, keep or, it light enough that they wouldn't get overly offended or, or embarrass them because they sounded dumb as shit. That too. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's a space of it as well. And when like mm. this is the kind of attitude that like my brothers and I always kind of had of like we would look out for other people. So mm. eventually you see people come and look out for us, too, which is interesting to see in Orange County now because, you know, I had friends who I remember in like the sixth or seventh grade being on out at at. Um, PE and a Muslim kid in our class calling me a nigger. Wow. And me being like, the fuck? Like, for what? Why? And two of my guy friends jumping up and being like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? Don't speak to her like that. Da 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 da. Make him apologize, et cetera. And both of those, all of three of the people from that situation in the last six months have reached out to me like they remember the situation. They don't remember, like the guy who said it doesn't even know why he said it. The guys who came up and like were there for me were were people who they didn't like message me to be like, hey, remember when I did this for you? They messaged me to be like, hey, listen, I know um, that this sucks, but I've always cared about you and people like you and I'm here for you and let me know if there's anything I can do to help. And I'm like, yeah, dog, I know you you've been there for me since I was since we were 10 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of my like love for the people in Orange County does come from because I do have a lot of relationships like that. Um, I was, um, you know, like I said, I played field hockey. I did junior lifeguards. I was prom queen. I did the Miss Huntington Beach pageant while in at Huntington because they made an announcement for it every year over the the, the, uh, system. And so I always remember being like, I'm going to do that for shits and giggles. And that was what mm-hmm. I said every year. I'm going to do that for shits and giggles. And so my senior year when I was 18, I did it. Or you had to be 17. So when I was 17, I did it. And I didn't win. But I had like almost 100 people come buy, buy tickets and support me, which was the most of anybody that was there. And then all the girls I was in the pageant with, which was like probably 17 girls, voted me Miss Congeniality. And it mm-hmm. was like, those were always things that were really valuable to me because it felt like I was making an impression on people and I was 
becoming closer to them. I still speak to girls I was in that pageant with. The girl who won, I am actually speak to her on a regular basis still, you know. Wow, wow. Like 14, so this 16, 17 might be years a, later. an academic question and I want to, you know, I want to be real with you in this uh, conversation. Uh, that's the name of the uh, podcast is Let's Get Real. Um, do you think uh, colorism, uh, you know, had a role at all? Did you have any black friends in high school who were darker than you who didn't get as much, you know, I don't want to call it privilege, but just acceptance and yeah. Does that make I, any sense? Yeah. yeah. No, I think absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that like colorism, particularly for black people, is not something that folks understand in Orange County. Um, mm. In terms of like, I'm very light skinned. And so people would not maybe know or would not assume that I was black unless they like noticed another feature that they would maybe give away or something. Right. Or they yeah. met me and my brothers and saw that we all had curly hair or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of out myself, because I want the vulnerability to be kind of mutual, I've noticed myself like, wow, the 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 people I have that are friends, people of color, are usually biracial. They're not, you know, they're not black, black. And I and I'm looking at myself going, wow, so what's going on for me? that has me feel more comfort, more ability to reach out more like how much does Molly like code switch for me so that we can be friends? That's a question that I'm, I've been asking myself, you know, uh, without wanting it to be too serious or too heavy, or I love the fact that you've kept it light. I think that's, is a key for all of us into understanding this stuff better. But I also am like really aware of my own potential blind spots around this. So, yeah, I think that, um, and your own experience is fine. doesn't have to be anything bigger than that. But yeah, I think if you part of that too is thinking about it from the other side, right? Um, mm -hmm. I listened to a great podcast the other day that was talking about um, how people of color growing up in communities that are mainly white, how we also become friends with people or how we think of ourselves as well, right, too. Um, and the kind of friends that we have or um, the fine kind of friends that like our white friends have, like, are you the, the only black person that that friend has, right? Yeah. Um, also considering that like, I think many biracial people, at least for myself, um, I think I have maybe more of an understanding spot or like a connecting spot for white people because I am also mm -hmm. white, um, mm -hmm. right? Like it's just what yeah. it is. Um, yeah. And I think that there's like probably a trust that I have built maybe with more white people growing up in around so many white people to be open to different types of relationships. And I always have been. Um, and so that's never been, that's I think something that like, some, maybe it makes it easier for like us to be able to have more friends that aren't just aren't just black um as well right so mm -hmm. i don't think that it would be like you seeking that out i think it's also has to do with like the comfortability of like the person that you like potentially want to be friends with right um, it's the synergy between us as much as the yeah right yeah but, um, you're, but what it makes me realize is that you are unconsciously maybe even uh, what they call it like the emotional labor part of friendship right like you are unconsciously sometimes meeting me i don't know maybe not you've got a white mom so maybe it doesn't feel like any effort at all but i'm like really aware now of like okay so what do i need to do to expand myself and be more of what my friends need you know yeah i think 
being who you are is the most important piece. And I think you mm-hmm. pick up things along the way of how to like support different people. Right. Um, I think I've done that with my own relationships with like white friends, black friends, Asian friends, brown friends, everybody, like you start to understand a little bit more about who they are and what might be needed from them. Right. And it sounds like your parents did a, a decent job of really um, making you proud of both parts of who you are, if we were that binary. I mean, I know it's not that binary, uh, but it is in our world, right? Our world makes it binary. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when you went out, when you went back east to go to graduate school, was that a, a huge awakening, a small awakening? Like what happened there? Oh, yeah, that was some other shit for me. Um <laughs> I love it. You're the best. It was just, you know, New York was such a, um, New York was like so many of the things that I needed. Um, Mm -hmm. I did, I graduated from Cal State Fullerton and moved to Long Beach actually for a year, um, leaving Orange County. My younger brother and I, and um, I had a boyfriend at the time. Um, I was dating a Filipino guy from that I knew from high school that I wasn't friends with in high school anyways. Um, and then another roommate. So it was four of us in an apartment and it was like a really fun year. And then my brother was going off to med school and I was trying to figure out what to do. And my dad was like, your grandmother's going to turn over in her grave if you don't go to, to get your master's. My grandma's still alive. She turns 96 tomorrow. <laughs> so he's, oh, she's an academic and yeah, he was she's just, really... Yeah. No, she can't. She can't read or write. And he's like, she didn't sacrifice everything for me to come here and for us to be here for you to just not go to school, which is like gotcha. I think he texts me also like once a week. Right. So um, so I applied to school, decided I would go to New York to be a pain in the ass. Um, and New York was just like. All the things that were missing from California for me. Um, Nobody knew if I was like Puerto Rican or Dominican or like possibly something like. And so much diversity there, right? Just so much so diversity. Much. I had been, I had been viewed so one way my whole life. Um, and so being able to go somewhere and having people think so many different things about me that were like positive and familiar and um, things that like, they maybe even were like, oh, I love this about you, were things that I had never loved about myself before. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of freckles. So like, I was like, nobody ever, we never spoke about my freckles, not ever. Um, I remember I taught swimming for eight years um, in California. And so I remember I had a little boy once who like, he swam up to me and he like looked at my face and he was like, Miss Molly, you got chocolate all over your face. And I was like, chocolate. And he like was poking at my freckles. I said, no, honey, those are my freckles. He was like, oh, and that was probably one of the only conversations I ever had about my freckles. I moved to mm-hmm. New York and everybody was like, oh, girl, you, you got freckles. Like, those are so cute. I wish I had freckles. And I just remember feeling like, huh, like there's something about me that like somebody else would actually even like want to physically also portray. Um, mm. And that was something that like I had never gotten ever, 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 ever in California. Um, I'm 5'10". I've always been taller than everyone. Um, Like I said, I played sports. Um, I've done like CrossFit and I have brothers. So like I am a beast. Um, I will, like I will, I, I mean, I'm a beast in the terms of the fact that like when you see somebody doing some dirty stuff on like a soccer 
play or something, that's probably me. Like if you get past yeah. me, then I'm going to trip yeah. you because I'm not going to let you get all the way there, but we're going to figure yeah. something out in the meantime. Um, and so I always well, have, I to have to, I have to segue. Yeah. I have to segue to when we met because um, you were like this regal queen coming that, into this all, all white environment. I mean, you were so, I mean, you are beautiful, but I remember so distinctively that I was here. I was, I like a year into living in Orange County. I'm at this home that is the epitome of the OC, you know, very posh and beautiful and beautiful yard and everything's just like a magazine. And then I'm around all these women and it wasn't like there wasn't people of color in that audience, you know, in that group of women, it's a politically active group. And, uh, but it just felt very white to me coming from the cities I'd lived in. And, and I, and yet I appreciated all those women. And then you walk in with your beautiful red lipstick on and your hair as big as Dallas, you know, and five ten, yeah, all five ten of you. And I think I, I almost felt like the room parted for you, <laughs> like people. And then we had that one thing that happened that neither one of us were really happy about. But we could talk about that. But I, I think your beastness or whatever, your bigness is one of your most beautiful traits is that you are, you take up space in a lovely way. I appreciate that. I think, you know, it's, I think I was always like my humor and my need to um, connect with people always mm. made me push to mm. still make myself present. Mm. Um, and I think that what New York did was gave me the confidence. I would say New York and uh, my relationship with my husband. Um, probably gave, give me that confidence to just be like, no, like you are allowed to come in and look like you and be like you and fuck everyone else who thinks something else of it. Yeah. Right. I had never been given that, um, kind of like space or confidence before. Permission. Yeah. Right. And New Yorkers will do that. And I had examples yeah. of them doing that and showing that like, it doesn't kill you to do that. In fact, right. what it can do is it can inspire other people to feel like they can also do it, right? And Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so and it I, drew I, people to you. Yeah, it drew people to you so much that we had that thing happened that happens and that we can joke about. But there yeah. was someone who just just wanted to touch your hair and she didn't ask; she it's just true. did it. This is the story <laughs> of my life. Um, people just trying to do things, um, and I was cringing, and I didn't do anything about it because I. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And, you know, that's one of those things I had to apologize to you for later for. But I mean, in the moment, know, I knew it was wrong in the moment and I didn't have words or a way. So all I did was give you a sympathetic look. And I wasn't even sure because you didn't even know me, whether or not you saw the sympathy that I was or the no, embarrassment. I saw, or, I saw okay, it. It's good. one of those things where like that happens to me so regularly. Um, hmm, it's just such a know. like. You again, you figure out it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to right. do with it has everything to do with them. Right. So like that, Does even it like sucks. Does right, it like, suck? It's, Does it suck I mean, to you? Or are you just so used to it that you just like water it, off a duck? It's one of those spaces where again, like I've I've learned how to deal with it better over time. Right. So yeah. like if people yeah. would do those things to me when you're little, like I've I teach my son like don't let people just touch you like that. And like yeah. also this is some that's something that's very endearing, especially for young kids. Like we put our hands on their heads, you know, it's, it doesn't always mean that, right? Yes, it's you're one right. one thing for someone to go up and go, oh, your hair feels like this. And it's another thing mm. for someone to just like, 
embrace someone, right? It's um, so true. So it's the function tell, of the action, right? Exactly. We can judge the action, but sometimes the function is, yeah, exactly. loving and yeah, exactly. So like, I get it. When we met that woman, um, and you're and like, it was totally unintentional on her part. We know that she totally. just didn't know. She yeah, didn't absolutely. know. It wasn't like she was like, oh, this is a zoo. It was like, nice to meet you. So nice to meet you all. And this, you know, we have to remember too, this is post like Trump just being elected. Everyone really feeling like um, we didn't really know what was going to happen. Right. I brought my mom with me to that event. Um, mm, because, first I like, remembered meeting her. Yeah, yeah. No, she, she, had tunkered herself down because she was like all these all these fucking white people in orange county are the worst i'm mm. and then she was you know glad to hear that many people had voted for hillary clinton so i got her to come out to that event which was you know the wave party for women american values and ethics and i was excited to meet all those women because i have never met a group of women like that in orange county in my life before mm. uh, and of course to come in and make it all better as soon as i start meeting people this woman is like oh, your hair and like sticks her hand out for it. Right. Um, and I don't remember if she got her fingers all the way into my hair or not. Um, mm. But I do remember you making a face and you really, I probably more than you realize sort of immediately like pulling me off away from the conversation. Mm. So like, Hey, mm. there's more people out here. Maybe you would like to meet. Um, mm. And like, sometimes that's that sounds like me. That's all you can do sometimes as a bystander. Right. Um, I've also learned how to like, I will swerve like if somebody comes to put their hand on my head and I will just mm. back off and say, please don't do that. This is not your yeah. hair. You're not allowed yeah. to touch. It. I don't know where your hands have been. My hair yeah. is clean. Please yeah. know, right? Well, uh, yeah, it's just a boundary, right? Like we all have personal space that we, exactly. you know, it's like the sovereignty of us. And I think one of the things I'm, um, I've learned this year as I've dived into more reading around being anti-racist is, um, you know, at first you feel like you need to confront every time and like that the confrontation, if you're not confronting, you're not being anti-racist, but you know, I'm just swerving back now to what I know from being a coach, which is you got to lead by example. You, you know, it's not every situation isn't a confrontation because uh, it's not effective in every situation. And I don't think that hopefully that doesn't sound like white fragility. It's just, I want it to be effective. And so, yeah, so maybe moving you away. I don't, I'm not a hero in that either, but maybe that was the best we both could do so that yeah. it was the intention wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't like we needed to embarrass someone. Again, you know? the intent depends on the intent. And Loki, I'm pretty sure that somebody looked at her as soon as she did it and was like, don't know. No. Yeah. Just as your friend, I, I, I have some sorrow that you have to navigate that kind of shit uh, so much. So well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I know you totally got it. So, you know, we, uh, yeah. We survive. We do. We do. Well, I, I'd love to, um, I want to talk about the amazing activism and activist that you are, but is there anything else you want um, the, our listeners to know about like your life story or like the Brooklyn back to OC thing? Is there anything that we want to go um, into there? I know it's a bigger history than we have time for in one conversation. Yeah, but. I know. Um, no, I mean, I think, I, I, my thing is, I think I encourage everyone to kind of get out, right? Um, I think that was the best thing. Again, that New York was one of the best things for me. Um, and I remember leaving and friends who weren't from Orange County saying, this is going to be the best thing you ever do. Um, because you're going to get to figure out more of who you are, not who everybody else is trying to make you to be. Um, and I think that's a lot of what happened. Um, 
and coming back just to say out loud, like I, I was, I was happy to have the reactions of people be what they were. I remember going in like protesting down at Dana Roebarker's office and like actually having white ladies out there doing it with me when like in high school, trying to have a conversation about politics. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I was, yeah. I was, I remember voting for Barack Obama in Orange County for the first time and people like openly mocking him when he won that night um, mm. at like a restaurant and just the change that I've seen happen is not perfect. Right. Yeah. But yeah. It, um, it's encouraging to know. Um, and I mean, it sucks because Huntington now has this like the, all these fucking assholes that want to go out and be the same assholes they've always been inside their houses anyways. Um, but I think it's important. And the national media picks that stuff up. And, and so you won't pick that up, but they won't pick up distortions. What, right. Yeah. They won't pick up what Aaron McCall is doing. They won't pick no. up what y'all are up to. They won't pick up what Joanna or Laura, like what everybody else is doing to like actually make a difference, um, which yeah. is unfortunate. Um, but I'm happy to know that those people are there. So it's, uh, yeah. There's some, there it wasn't a surprise to us that that Orange County went blue, right? Because we we were seeing it on the ground. We were seeing the people going out and taking care of things. And... In this episode, we're sponsoring Courage California, a 1.4 million member organization that helps California reach its potential by calling out institutional corruption and oppression, improving coordination and collaboration between progressive organizations, and holding our state and local representatives accountable to and reflective of the Californians they seek to serve. Courage California believes that California must be a beacon of progressive, equitable, and truly representative democracy. As the fifth largest economy in the world and the United States' largest and most diverse state, California is uniquely positioned to serve as a model for the country. Courage California released its first annual Courage Score in 2016, a tool designed to help Californians learn about how well their elected representatives in the State Assembly and Senate represented the districts they serve. Courage California also prepared and published a progressive voters guide with information on every state, county, and local election in California. Please visit them at couragecalifornia.org or progressivevotersguide.com backslash California. You can also give to Courage Campaign on Act Blue. So I want people to know that they should follow you on Instagram, first of all, that you have this... Um, this wonderful uh, way of expressing yourself and also sharing information that is so important to us, uh, especially here in California in terms of, um, you know, creating a more just world and um, making sure that, that people like us, and I'm using this term that I've learned uh, about being a good ancestor. Like I think the, one of the things I've learned lately is that it's my own, uh, I'm saving myself when I do stuff for the black movement uh, or black lives matters like it's, like it's about my moral authority and my ability to to walk in this world without shame and i'm learning a lot about things that i've been neglecting but i love you know following you on instagram and reading your story and seeing all the cool stuff that you're up to and i don't know where where we want to dive in there but what what what's on i know what's on your plate right now is we're two and a half weeks from the election and uh you're doing your best to elect progressive people right yeah. Um, 
So Courage is, Courage is great. We're a very small organization, um, literally like under, you know, under 15 people across the state. And we are like, we're nerds. Um, and my colleagues would all be happy. I just called them that because they are. And mm-hmm. they make me feel like being a nerd is cool too, because they come up with so much great stuff. Um, and so it's been really wonderful to work not only with my team at Courage, but also with our partners across the state. Um, and I think I get a lot out of that. Again, it's, I think, this space for me of always wanting to, like, if I'm in a room with you, like I said, unless we have beef, we're going to be friends. Um, especially if we're in here, you know, intent around the same thing. So um, between my colleagues and different partners that I've met while doing this work, um, like there's a great movement here in California. Obviously, we're, quote unquote, the most progressive state in the nation, um, partially because we're so large and because we're just known for being a liberal state, right? Um, But Mm -hmm. there's the space of like, there are people with D's behind their name that aren't really Democrats. Um, and I say this yeah. in terms of like, they, you can speak a great game. Anybody could do that. Anybody could speak really well about anything, but it depends upon like where your actual intent is and like how you are like putting pen to paper, right? Like how you're voting, where you're making your mark. Um, and so Courage does Courage Score, um, which is like an annual report card that we do on all of our state legislators. um, And it's become something that people look for in California because it helps us understand what happens in Sacramento throughout the year and why some of the stuff that we should have going through, all these progressive bills should be going through, why they're dying. Um, Mm -hmm. And so a lot of work paying attention to that. And then in addition, we, like I said, we do a lot of partner work. So we're always trying to, one, expand our own base, but two, amplify our partners. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that, you know, goes from everything from like, you know, we've done stuff with like Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I, this hadn't occurred to me before talking to you about it, but, um, there's a, we're also the state of Reagan and the state of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so do you feel like we're solidly now going to stay in this more liberal space as a state, or do you think that is under at risk at any, any given moment? I don't trust anything. That's yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't trust any of them. No. Um, I yeah. Yeah. That, like, like for like, even, you know, I think a lot of times too, it comes down to like money and power and influence. Right. And so like, that's my biggest thing is um, in particular, like I'm watching, I'm looking at like how we pipeline candidates up to the state legislature as people turn it, term out um, and looking at seats that are local, but trying to encourage not just letting the party or someone who thinks they have all the answers be the mm-hmm. one who gets all the donations and lets everyone thinks they have the plan, et cetera, et cetera, but actually figuring out how to pull people from the community who've been doing this work and pipelining them up to make sure that they're the ones who are coming in because everybody else is running on power and money and influence, right? So Sacramento in particular, like I said, we have a super majority of Democrats. However, most of them belong to the Mod Caucus. Most Mm. of them are bought by like fossil fuel industry. Most of them are bought by the police unions. Most of them are bought by like other special interests. And that for us is not like, while I don't like the word progressive, um, because I feel like it's been turned into a bunch of different things. um, Yeah for us to be inclusive and for us to have a more just and equitable democracy, like 
everybody that's running shouldn't probably have a college degree. Everybody mm-hmm. that's running should not. Like, I think we have more, there are more men named James, more white men named James in the legislature than there are like black representatives or something. I've something heard ridiculous. that statistic. It is yeah. really, yeah. So, so like, do you think it's about getting money out of politics or do you think our two-party system is broken? Like, do you have a, an opinion about that? I think that there are our own issues within each of the systems, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, we do work with, like, Working Families Party. Um, and I don't know if they're necessarily trying to create another party or if they're really just trying to create a space for people who have been rejected by the other parties. Um, and I say that in terms of, like, the Democratic Party is not like a welcoming place all the time um, once you get into it, right? Like it's one thing when they want you to come on and like donate and like support a yeah. candidate. And it's another thing when you start fucking with what they're doing and yeah. you start questioning what they're doing um, and they try to destroy you just like the Republican Party probably does to people who stand up to them in the Republican Party, right? So I think that any system where you have so many people at the top who have like congregated all of this power through money and all of these other things that we just spoke about is problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's sort of I my love what you're saying. That. Yeah, I love what you're saying though, uh, your vision around... Um, diversifying representation, not just, not just in terms of background, color, uh, ethnicity, but like level of education. And like, um, you know, I just heard a podcast where the guy was making a distinction between being educated and being skilled. And Mm -hmm. I loved that. Like there are a lot of skilled people out there who may not have a master's degree or even an undergraduate degree who have common sense who are good at their job, who could make good decisions and create laws that actually help more people. Right. Right. It's one of those things I think, again, my team at Courage, I think has taught me a lot about this, right? Like when Mm -hmm. we talk about our um, different parts of our identities and things that people that aren't part of our like regular conversations. And so I remember one of the beefs that we had um, internally was that somebody who was making a lot of decisions at the top, um, their school loans were paid for. Mm-hmm. They were already in a space where they were in a home and paying a mortgage. They had like all these other things going on and their responses to things of like, oh, well, this is just, you just have to deal with these things, right? And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't realize that 80% of our team is underwater in student loan debt. And that's yeah. something that will forever be over our heads. And if you're mm-hmm. worried about like some whatever issue over like this and that, you want to have this thing happen in the state legislature because you think this is important but we're like when are we going to get out of like not having to pay back all this money that we were never supposed to have to pay back because we're all supposed to be in student loan forgiveness for like working for nonprofits or for the like doing our Mm. public service or whatever like there are so many different spaces that need to be represented and have a bigger voice because there are more of us that are dealing with that shit than people who don't have to deal with that stuff still yeah I think that's why uh, people like AOC are so compelling, right? Because she's speaking the truth. She comes from a, a different place. She mm-hmm. understands the world differently, and 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 she speaks truth. Like when you hear her talk, you're like, yeah, why aren't we talking about that? I, right. I, 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 you know, and I know that my bias is showing, but I think that she's that young. I mean, I know I, people think she's radical, but she's just saying honest stuff. That's data driven almost right right I, I remember when she when her ad came out I remember like being so close to tears because um she when I um 
when I got married, uh, uh, my husband and I met in Harlem. And so a lot of the people that I worked with were from Harlem or from the Bronx um, or, you know, from Brooklyn, et cetera. And so I didn't have all my like home friends around to do like a wedding shower and a lot of other different things. And the way my like friends from those areas embraced me and took me in um, and their attitudes and their like the way they look at life um, and the way they like stick up for other people. I saw all of that in her and mm-hmm. I felt like, oh shit, like uh, Delshana is running or like, so like all these girls that I knew from, you know, from out there, like, I felt like, oh shit, like they're about to get that representation that they like deserve because that's who the fuck they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that was so powerful. And so, you know, watching people like her, you know, even like Stacey Abrams um, mm-hmm. come out. I've, I met Stacey at a fundraiser. And one of the things that, two of the things that have stood out to me about Stacey is one, she was honest about having to take care of her family and the issues that they went through and the debt that she is in, not only from student loan debt, but like credit card debt of just taking care of her family, right? Which is something that more people deal with than what we talk about. Um, yeah. And, and additionally, um, there was a like very famous, um, donor producer who was there, who's Jewish, who like made some kind of offhanded comment to her about her last name and was like, oh, you, your last name's Abrams. You must have a Jew in the closet. Like that was his comment to her, like during a fundraiser with like a hundred people standing in a fancy living room. And she was like, thank you for bringing up this really traumatizing piece of my life's history. What he is referring to is the fact that some slaves were, you know, saved by this da da da, and she like went into it, but it was just like mm. she wasn't about to back down from him because he had the ability to max out and give her what she needed, and yeah. she still was going to say what she needed to say um, and call him out in the way she needed to call him out because there was no reason for him to one ask that question like that, two bring up something like that, um, and three it just was another standout of like. There's all these questions that we have no problem asking powerful white men, quote unquote, powerful white men who are typically mediocre white men. Um, and we stay off topic. Right. But yeah. when it's a woman or someone else in front of us, we question them in this all these other ways. And their challenges back to that are what helped Amen. me realize, like, oh, we don't have to answer that. We don't have to answer any of these dumbass questions they want to ask, actually. Great, great. You know, I think it can be overwhelming for the average voter to know where to get involved or how to make these decisions. Um, Like, what advice do you have for people who want to be more informed um, about what's going on? Yeah, I think that it's intimidating to just jump into. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people feel like they're failing if they don't just find something, you know? I am, you've been to like the Black Women's Democratic Club meetings. You're a member, you're an avid attender, which is wonderful. Appreciate you, member Nina. Um, And it's, you know, just as we met at, you know, an initial event with amazing Mm -hmm. women who I still do things with, um, you know, it's a little bit further removed. Um, They, like the focuses that they have are wonderful. There are different things that I I dive into a little bit more um, like they have a bunch of attorneys and they do mm-hmm. a lot of um, support trying to like help with like the immigration stuff that's been going on. Right. Oh, you're talking about Wave. Yeah. Wave, yeah. yeah. Wave is doing amazing work around immigration. And right. Like helping. they're doing 
really, really kick-ass, important work, and they're finding their, that space of where they're needed. And I think it's taken them a couple of years to figure that out because it takes time to figure that out. Um, yeah. Whereas, like, I found my space in, of course, I was already connected to Courage, which is, like, makes me lucky. Um, but I, I searched a number of different clubs and, um, you know, issue organizations before I found places that I really liked and fit into. So like I attend the Black Women's Democratic Club. Um, I became a board member fairly quickly after joining um, because I just everything. I mean, everything was very much in line, right? Like with the things that we focus on and the things that we needed and the the pieces I could fill in as well. I'm a fundraiser. um, Mm -hmm. And that tends to be a space that I can jump into because not everyone likes to fundraise. I don't really like to fundraise either, but it's something that's a good event. But but I can throw an event and, and I can, you know, swallow my pride and ask for money because it's hard to do. Um, You know, that's actually the, one of the miracles of this time that we're in right now is um, I don't think I ever would have, or maybe I would have gotten to one meeting when Mm -hmm. the Black Women's Democratic Club was meeting up in Culver City or even Mm -hmm. getting to Long Beach. I don't know where your meetings were, but now that we're all plugging in on Zoom, there's like this opportunity to be anywhere and to participate in anything. And so I've really taken advantage of that. Of course, I get Zoomed out like all of us and there's only so many meetings I want to go to where I don't get to have those one-on-one informal conversations that I think are part of being together. Right. But I do, uh, yeah, one of the reasons I can go to those meetings regularly is A, I, I also believe in what the Black Women's Democratic Club is trying to do, um, just like I believe in what Emerge is doing, which you're also in a graduate of Emerge, is, you know, let's diversify, uh, let's raise people up, smart people who've been supporting uh, other people for way too long and, mm-hmm. you know, get more get more people and more women in power, more people of color in positions of power and decision-making. And so, I don't know, I'm rambling now, but I do think there's something really cool about the time we're in right now in terms of like getting to be involved in, in different things than right. we normally do. Right. And I think that's the, for me, the biggest part of like, um, like I'm able to make a lot of those connections happen because of like the Democratic Club, like that's my community space of being able to connect to LA County and frankly, outside of LA County. Uh, We're an LA County chartered club. Um, Mm. However, like you're in Orange County, right? Like you come to the meetings. There are other people that do. Uh, We have uh, partners in the central, in Central California, as well as Northern California that are like other black um, organizations, black women led organizations. Um, But it allows us to connect with like a number of different things that are going on. And that's what can sometimes introduce you to something else. Right. So like at the Democratic Club, we have different speakers come. There may Mm -hmm. be somebody that comes that piques someone's interest. Right. So like we have the election happening right now. We've had people come and speak who do like judicial accountability work for L.A. County. We've had people come who focus on, you know, taxation. Right. Um, The Prop 15 folks who've been pushing through schools and communities first so that corporate um, uh, uh corporations have to start paying their fair share of taxes back to schools and communities here in California. So like you learn something from each of these people that come through, you find out where these people came from and you go and you connect with these organizations, right? I think there's always this need for people to start new orgs for something Mm -hmm. um, Mm, when they think we have too many orgs, (laughs) right? When they think there's nothing else that fits, right? Yeah. Not realizing that like something else is actually out there that you can go and team up with. Um, I find, I love, again, 
like social media fills that hole for me in spaces of being able to find other partners and organizations that also already exist that maybe are doing work that like we're I love like I'll talk to donors and they're like why aren't you doing this and I'm like because there's five organizations already doing that yeah yeah that's why like well let's talk about like what's the strategy and how do we keep the message out there that when we are protesting when we march it's not a riot it's like there are a lot of good people out there, but I think I just want to address this, that that protest is a viable form of, of putting your voice out there. You go and you, and you march and, yeah. and you're a mom and you, you know, you've got people that care about you and you're out there. Yeah. I think like there's like a lot of regular people who are marching and it's, yeah. it's therapeutic to like hmm. kind of get out and scream a little bit, right? It's therapeutic to get out there and realize that you are not the only one that feels that way, mm-hmm. um, which is always telling to me, like when you get a group of people together, like what mm-hmm. it ends up looking like and like what they end up shouting about um, mm-hmm. and where their discretions are, right? Uh, I don't think that protest is the only thing we should be doing, right? No. Um, And I think that that's super important to keep in mind. I don't think anybody who doesn't want to believe that we're doing this for a reason will ever believe it. Um, I, I don't think that it's like going through an experience with something and trying to explain it to someone else, you know, Mm -hmm. like they just won't, they probably Mm -hmm. won't get it unless they're out there doing it themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Whoever those people were that came and like started fires or stole things, like that's them. That had nothing yeah. to do with the majority of the people who are out here doing this kind of thing. And if people want to believe that that's what's going on, then like that's what they're going to believe. Um, yeah. I think all we yeah. can do is continue to show them who we really are in the mm-hmm. ways that we can, which again comes back to that space of me trying to remind people like, no, the only thing we the only things we should be doing are not just protesting and voting. Like there's a lot more here that is just like, we got to pull the veil back um, and understand that this is a, like democracy is a full-time job, right? We always have to be paying attention. We always have to be holding people accountable. Um, People are always planning on moves to make. Like those people who represent us now probably have the next 10 years of their lives planned out. And that shit may have nothing to do with you. So unless right. you're walking in and making sure that you're part of the conversation or the people in your community are part of that conversation, they won't think about it. And, and, and again, candidates are just people and right. they're not always going to, you know, you're going to try to trust their judgment at some level and they're not right. always going to do exactly what you want them to do. But these organizations that align with your values, like that's exciting, right? That's right. a place where be on the board or just give them money and, be on and the follow board, them on give Instagram. Them money, like follow them on Instagram. Like, like I said, we're a small organization. Our, bu- our budget is under $2 million a year. Our overhead mm. cost, I think, is like 18%, like under 18%. It's ridiculous. That's a lot amazing. of these organizations have been doing this like co-governance stuff. We are trying to figure out how to make some of them come in more on a C4 side as well. Um, mm. But I think most importantly, again, stop cr- like people creating new organizations when these organizations are here that you can go and support right now. Um, you can yes. donate to them. You can follow them. You can show up at events where they need bodies, right? Like mm-hmm. those are things that they need. I do have to ask you one last question, which yeah. is 
when are I know you've heard, I've been asked before, but when are you going to run for office? We will. We will see. There's <laughs> definitely a pressure train on Molly right now to I run. Bet, I um, bet. You're so passionate. You're so articulate. Yeah. And you care so much. And so it's, it's definitely something I would love to see. I know it's a big job, but I know you've considered it. I know you've done some training around it. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, though, too, it's it's for me. Um, and I mean, maybe this is me getting out of my own boundaries as well. Right. But seeing people who I feel like this should be you um, mm. and going through those spaces of like finding those people is so fulfilling to me. Um, however, um, I also understand what it means and like why people ask other people to run. So it's something I take very seriously. Um, I have. So when I mean, you say this should be you, you mean that you like identifying candidates more than the idea of running or? I, I mean, I love the idea of identifying candidates and supporting women, um, supporting not just women too, supporting people who are progressives that I think should be there, period, right? That's a yeah. fun conversation for me too. When somebody's like, oh, we should support this black woman because it's black women and they said equity. And I'm like, no. <laughs> No, 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 Look a little deeper. Look a little deeper. Privilege exists in the black community as well. And not just because you're born black does not mean that you know all of these things. Like we still need to put people through the ringer. And for me, sometimes when I meet other people, I'm like, you should be doing this job, not me. Um, Mm. And then, you know, that's a, it's, it's your, you have your own self-reflections, et cetera, as well. But obviously like there's planning to be done. Like I said, people make plans years and years out. I am definitely trying to fuck up some other people's plans that I don't like. Um, (laughs) That's more of a goal for me (laughs) than anything else. It's less of the getting the power and more of the taking the power away from the people I don't think deserve it. Um, Yeah. So so we'll see in the next couple of years. That makes sense to me. You know, you do have a sweet spot in being a grassroots leader a grassroots organizer i see you in your power when i see you out on the street so and you have the credibility and the passion so totally with you whatever you decide to do tell me there's things i can't say probably exactly yeah i don't know maybe maybe not or Maybe I could not. just be a loudmouth candidate, one of the two, That's right? right? That's right. That's right. Well, I so um, appreciate you, uh, just you. I just appreciate you. But I, I also appreciate, appreciate you. you making time for this and yeah. um, lots of good stuff in this conversation that I think people will benefit from hearing.